A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast brought to you by CJP Economics, a collaboration between Jim Power and Chris Johns, where we discuss the intersection between politics, finance, and economics. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found at our Substack website, and that Substack site also contains our extensive body of written work. Thanks for listening and reading. If you like our work, please share with your friends and sign up to our newsletter. Hello, Chris. Good to talk. Um, our first, first podcast for 2023. Uh, an exciting year ahead, I hope, on many different levels. But first of all, uh, just to wish all of our listeners and subscribers um, a very happy and prosperous 2023. Uh, packed agenda today as we begin the new year. We've just had the end December exchequer returns for Ireland. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I want to talk about the global economic outlook and what that might mean for Irish tax revenues over the next 12 months. And I guess of particular concern is stuff that's going on in the technology sector at globally at the moment. Um, there's news from Salesforce cutting staff today. Microsoft is having uh, downgrading problems. So there's, there's a lot going on there. And I, I'd like a little bit of a discussion with you on the global outlook and how that might impact on um, the Irish tax returns and indeed the Irish economic performance. Um, stuff happening on the inflation front. We've had uh, pretty decent inflation data out of France, Germany and Spain over the last couple of days. What are the implications of that? Uh, UK economic situation, I think, continues to generally deteriorate with some weak manufacturing data today. U.S. politics, um, particularly interesting, I believe, at the moment, given what happened in the midterm elections and now with the fiasco around the appointment of the Speaker of the House. Rishi Shunak has been speaking in the UK today and has outlined five promises on which his premiership should be judged. So I think that is worth discussing. And you've written 
um, a lot of stuff about the UK over the Christmas break. So um, I just like to see how what he's saying today fits into your overall perspective on the um, UK economy. And finally, um, there's a lot going on on energy markets at the moment. I'd like to discuss how that might feed into global UK and indeed Irish inflation over the coming months. If we get through all that, I think um, we might just do one podcast in 2023 that might last <laughs> all of it. Um, I, I, I guarantee you we won't get through all of that as usual. It's become our trademark and maybe one, of the, one or two of those things get left over to our next podcast, which we'll do quite quickly. But uh, why don't you get cracking on Exchequer Returns? OK, um, end December Exchequer Returns, uh, we had an Exchequer surplus of $5 billion, um, for the year as a whole. That compares to a deficit of $7.4 billion in 2021. So that's a turnaround of $12.4 billion. Nothing terribly unusual in December, just the continuation of the trends we've seen in tax revenues all year. Income tax, the biggest tax heading 37% of total taxation coming from income tax. Um, it's up. We collected 30.7 billion this year, which is a record. That's up 4 billion on 2021. And that's an annual growth rate of 15.2%. The second largest category of taxation for the first time in our history is corporation tax, accounting for 27.2% of total taxes. Um, it's up by, we, we took in 22.6 billion. That's up 7.3 billion or 47.8% on 2021. And that's really the big story of the Irish Exchequer returns. The third category is VAT, which largely reflects um, tax on spending, accounting for 22.4% of total taxation. It has slipped into third place for the first time ever. And we collected 18.6 billion, up 3.2 billion on 2021, which is a growth rate of 20.5%. So very, very strong tax revenues. And in total, we collected 83.1 billion in taxation, which is a record high. It's up 14.7 billion on the previous year, which is an annual growth rate of 21.5%. So all good news, you might think, um, but that there is a caveat that the Department of Finance is particularly strong on at the moment because they are extremely concerned about the buoyancy of corporation taxes and the windfall nature of those taxes. And they're fearful that at some stage, a lot of that corporate tax base could just disappear. And the Department of Finance is very fearful that government, the will make all sorts of spending commitments based on a transitory tax take. Over the Christmas, I think, since Leo Varadkar assumed the Taoiseach's role for the second time, he's been making a lot of promises about solving health, about solving child poverty, about solving the housing crisis. And all three of those issues have one thing in common, which is that pledges to spend an awful lot more money. And I think that's what's worrying the Department of Finance. And in the press release today, the department, well, which is, well, the minister is saying, but the department has written it, that excluding the Department of Finance's assessment of transitory corporation tax receipts, they believe that the underlying general government deficit, this is a new concept which tries to strip out the windfall nature of element of corporation taxes. They call it GGB star, G 
general government balance star. And they say that um, the, the, over, the overall situation is a surplus of 5.2 billion on that general government basis. But if you exclude the windfall nature of corporation taxes, um, they're estimating a deficit of around 5.25 billion. Um, we've heard these sorts of warnings consistently throughout 2022 from the Department of Finance. Um, and, and I guess you'd have to attach some credibility to it because, you know, undoubtedly, when you get such a leap in corporation tax receipts, there is always the risk that it might just disappear at some stage and that the government will have spent on the basis of that transitory tax take, which is something we did with um, construction related taxes in the run up to 2007, 2008. So very strong overall public finances, but a strong warning from the Department of Finance. And as I say, this is strongly reflecting the fears within the department that the government will go on a spending spree on the back of a tax base that might disappear at some stage. And I, and I think we're seeing globally at the moment um, something to be concerned about in that regard. And that is the decline in tech share prices that we're seeing and also some job announcements from a lot of technology companies, the most recent one being today. Um, Salesforce has announced that it's cutting 10% of its global staff of 73,500. Um, that 10% to be delivered by the end of 2024. Um, and that includes closing some offices. Um, Salesforce is basically saying that revenue grew strongly during the pandemic. They hired a lot more people on the back of that. Um, and now with the economic environment um, deteriorating, um, has been over the last 12 months, they now have too many staff. Um, and another issue is that an activist hedge fund called Starboard Value took a stake last year in Salesforce. And apparently it is putting a lot of pressure on Salesforce to increase its margins. So there's an element of hedge fund pressures at play here. But in an overall sense, Chris, would you be concerned that what's happening global technology at the moment will have implications for the FDI base in Ireland and I guess more importantly for the corporation tax buoyancy that we've been seeing over the last couple of years? Yes, I think the department is right to be issuing these sorts of warnings that there are threats to corporation taxes from a number of sources. There's the global move to try and tax these corporations more in the countries in which they are actually doing business. We've talked about that a lot. That, I think, is not going to be anything that, to worry about over the next 12 months. And it may not be something to worry about overall, because it, it could still go off on an, in a number of directions. The biggest threat, or the biggest warning flag, if you like, is coming from the collapsing share prices of tech companies. What does that signify? It could signify that profits are going to fall. The market might be worried that for, for a lot of these companies that the profits growth that they had previously penciled in isn't going to happen or the profits might actually go down. Today, we have had UBS, the big global investment bank, downgrade Microsoft, for example, on the back of fears that its Azure cloud computing platform, that its growth days are coming to an end and that the growth of revenues from its Outlook, all that all that Microsoft Word and uh, Excel that we use, the revenues it gets from that will be slowing down. So I think what's happening is that there are fears over growth in profits from here. And what that means is that the stock market takes 
valuations share prices down. It doesn't necessarily portend a profits collapse, however, but it might, depending on the depth of, of any recession that is awaiting us, particularly in the United States, but globally. So one thing I think that we can be pretty sure of is that the growth in Irish tax revenues that has resulted from the growth of tech profits, because it's pure arithmetic, if you multiply your tax rate by your profits and your profits are no longer growing, then your tax take will no longer grow. The issue will be if profits actually fall. And I think that is really a function of the economic outlook. So yes, I think that the heady days of massive exponential growth in these numbers is drawing to a close. It may not be over yet. We may get a month or two because these things tend to lag. But I think it's right to assume that the tax take at best from these companies, at best over the next year or two or more, is at best going to be stable. And I think that it could actually fall. And that's got nothing to do with the corporation tax reforms that the OECD and all those other global organisations are trying to push through. It's the just the profits. What are the profits of these companies going to be doing? Amazon share price today is under pressure because it too has been downgraded by stock market analysts. So I think that, that yes, we're right to be very cautious. As to what the extent of these numbers are going to turn out to be, the kind of contingencies that the department is building in there, you mentioned them. I think it's really sticking a finger in the air. Uh, they're, they're, they're honest well-made estimates, but I don't think anybody knows. Uh, but And they, my guess would be, and I suspect you'd share this, is that they are erring on the side of caution. And it really, really comes down to what is the economic outlook globally going forward for the operating environment for these companies? Yeah, I, I, I do agree, Chris. Um, you know, the, the, the revenue buoyancy we've seen in the corporation tax side has been extraordinary, and it is reflecting the growth in profitability over the last couple of years, particularly during the pandemic. And Stripe and Salesforce have, I think, um, elucidated this in a, in a very coherent way. Um, and, you know, as you say, if uh, those corporate profits start to decline, which looks to be the case, that's why they're cutting back. Um, well, it's obviously going to impact on corporation tax receipts here. You know, we, we, we have all, always and often spoken about Sinn Féin's money tree and all the promises they make to spending all sorts of money. But if you look at what um, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are saying in government at the moment, um, you could say the very same thing. You know, they have a money tree. They're promising to spend all sorts of money in addressing um, the many problems we face as an economy and as a society. Um, today, the medical people here were out calling for an extra 5,000 beds that are needed in the Irish Health Service. And I wouldn't disagree with that. I think we do need 5,000 extra beds at least. Um, we need to solve the housing problem. Um, child poverty, as I said earlier, Leo Varadkar has made strong pledges to address that over the next couple of years. All of those things will cost a lot of money. And uh, the fear, of course, is that those tax revenues will not be flowing as freely. So there's a challenge here. And I think um, the Department of Finance is 100 percent correct to be throwing some cold water on this, to be throwing an air of caution. But at the end of the day, uh, the permanent government um, is under the thumb of the political system. And if the political system decides that certain things need to be done, um, they will be done regardless of what the Department of Finance believes and warns about. But uh, I, I do think we need to be careful. 
Apart from the global tech difficulties we've been speaking about, Chris, um, there's a very strong consensus out there um, about global recession over the next six to 12 months, um, particular negativity around the UK and the euro area. But even in the case of the United States, quite a bit of negativity as well. And I mentioned as part of our agenda today, some weak manufacturing data. I just get that out of the way at this stage, the purchasing managers index of manufacturing, which is a diffusion index, meaning that a reading below 50 signifies that more manufacturing companies expect to contract than to grow. And that fell to 48.4 in December, down from 49 in November. And it was the biggest monthly decline since May 2020, which was the beginning of the global pandemic. So we're clearly seeing signs in the States um, growth is slowing. And indeed, in the euro area, although there was some modest jump in that index in December, it's still at 47.8, is in contractionary territory. Um, So how do you read what people are saying about the global economic outlook in 2023. You're right to say that there is a consensus that it's going to be very difficult indeed. And I've tried to have a look at what a lot of different people are saying. All of the global investment banks, for example, produce 2023 outlooks at this time of year. And I've been going through some of them. And I'll choose some more or less at random to give you a flavour of what several dozen of these these uh, in outlooks are, are saying. Barclays Capital, for instance, their their money quote there is 2023 will be the worst for the global economy in decades. There's a very well respected research organization called Ned Davis Research in the States that is very precise. It attaches a 65% probability of a severe global downturn. Fidelity, one of the world's largest money managers, says that a hard landing for the world economy is unavoidable. Uh, and this is quite typical. They're, it's not uniform. It's not every single one of these forecasters saying this. They're at the bleaker end of expectations. There are some pretty weird forecasts for markets on the back of that. Deutsche Bank, who's quite pessimistic as well for the US stock market, thinks that uh, the market will reach 4,500 in the first half of 2023. It's at about three three 800 at the moment. So that's quite a rise. And then in the third quarter, it's very precise. It says the stock market, because of the bad economy, will go down 25%. And then quite weirdly, it says by the end of the year, it will be back up again to 4,500. So that's just a a very strange way of going about forecasting. Uh, HSBC, another big global bank, they're saying that markets are far too complacent about growth and inflation, too optimistic about growth and too optimistic about inflation coming down. JP Morgan... Global powerhouse say that interest rates will actually fall in the second half, but only because the economic outlook is so poor and that recession will force central banks to pivot. BCA, which is a Canadian-based, very respected research house, stands for Bank Credit Analyst, they think, and this is an outlier, this is one of the exceptions to that broad consensus, say that growth is going to surprise on the upside. But all that means for them is that the recession is pushed into 2024. So there are slivers of optimism out there, but they're very hard to find. So the broad consensus is that we are in for a very, very difficult year. 
What's really interesting, of course, is that uh, European stock markets in particular, which is where I think the economic fears are greatest, there are worries about the states, but there are fears in, in Europe, European stock markets have begun the year with a bang, which, which is quite interesting. And I think that's partly because, or perhaps mostly because, of some terrific inflation data that you mentioned at the top of the show from France, Spain and Germany over the last few days. So I, I can take us through that, or if you've got the figures to hand, Jim, would you want to take us through that inflation news? Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. French inflation in December, 6.7%, significantly lower than expectations. And Germany yesterday fell to 9.6%, down from 11.3% in November. And this is the first time German inflation has been in single digits since the summer. Um, however, the, the caveat here again is that a large part of these declines uh, due to falling energy prices. And indeed, in Germany, there's a specific issue. Uh, the German government introduced specific measures to curb gas prices for the consumer, and that is feeding directly into headline inflation. So I, I think while you know inflation in November and December was showing signs of easing, it is largely down to energy prices. And I think from the perspective of central bankers, what they will be watching over the coming months in terms of determining their future interest rate actions will be what's happening, number one, with um non-energy inflation. So in other words, areas like services. Secondly, what's happening in terms of labour markets and wage pressures, because those central bankers have been very fearful over recent months that inflation would become more broad based and we would become embedded in the system. Um, and that's why really they've been moving on the interest rate front to try and prevent that from happening. I think central bankers at this juncture would still be of a view that the global economic outlook is very uncertain and generally negative over the next six to 12 months. But inflation is still too high. And against that backdrop, interest rates will have to be increased further, at least in the early months of 2023. So, um, I think you're right that the fall in inflation that we've seen in France, Germany, Spain and indeed other countries, a lot of it is to do with lower energy prices over the last month or two. And I'm in France as we speak at the moment, Jim, as you know, and eat your heart out. I'm paying 20% less for my petrol for my car than you are in Ireland. And indeed, people are paying in the UK there or thereabouts. Uh, that's because the French government has basically subsidised, told 
fuel companies and all the rest of it to charge a certain amount of money. And so my electricity bill as well here is, is lower than yours. Um, so as I say, eat your heart out. The core inflation, the non-inflation bits of those numbers that you you mentioned, I think would still be a cause for concern for the ECB. So I don't think it's going to deflect them from raising interest rates at their next meeting. But one of the things that I think is important to talk about is that are those energy prices. And as you know, Jim, the, the, the natural gas price has collapsed on wholesale markets. It peaked at 350 euros. I think that's for a megawatt hour of, of gas energy in August when Europe was refilling its storage tanks at any price. There was a mad dash for gas and all sorts of interesting things have been happening, not least the freakishly warmer weather that we're experiencing here in, in Europe. On, on Christmas Day here in France, it was 25 degrees down on the south coast, for instance. And today uh, I was basking in 21 degrees of heat. So not much need for central heating. You're trying to piss me off, Chris? Just a little bit, Jim, just a little bit. So that that's good news. And there is now speculation. If you remember, uh, when we came into the winter, people were saying, yeah, OK, we may get through this winter without any problems, but prices will remain high. There may or may not be blackouts. Remember all that talk? Uh, now that there, there doesn't appear to be any chance of a blackout, never say never, that we could get a cold snap. Um, but they're saying that we could actually end the, the winter, not with empty storage tanks, but with the, the fullest storage tanks for natural gas in history. So in a, in a way, <laughs> there is a silver lining to the cloud of, of global warming that we appear to be in the middle of here in Europe. But the gas price, as I said, it peaked in August when we were filling all our gas storage tanks around Europe at 350 euros. The last time I looked today, it was trading at 68. So that's something like an 80% fall in gas prices. So on the face of it, it's good news. For, for when I get back to the UK, it's better news for my bills over the next year. It's not great news because when they lift the, the effect of all of this, when it washes through, is if gas prices stay at where they are, uh, at the end of the day, my bills next winter will be roughly where they are at the moment. The, I won't get any benefit from the falling prices because the benefit that you get from that will be uh, taken away by the government removing its subsidies. So there's lots of moving parts to this. So it's partly good news, um, but with, with a sting in the tail. But energy prices have come down. Oil prices have come down and stayed down. So that, I think, has been the prime driver behind the fall in inflation. But in the States, inflation has fallen there as well, which is good news. And one of the things that people have been saying there is that the Fed in raising interest rates in the United States has gone too far too quickly because inflation is coming down all of its, all of its own. And there's been some new research out of the Kansas Fed only in the last few days, I think, saying that the lag between putting interest rates up and inflation falling has shortened a lot recently for all sorts of monetary policy technical reasons. And it's got to do with uh, lags in the system shortening, partly because of quantitative tightening, the, 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 the reverse of quantitative easing that we saw through the financial crisis and the pandemic. So it seems that the Fed thinks that its interest rates increases are already having an effect. And I think there's a read across through there. So there's still lots to play for on the inflation front. I think we can look forward to higher interest rates still coming both in the United States and in Europe. A lot will depend on what happens to energy prices from here, whether they stay, whether they stay where they are, whether they go up, whether they go down. 
That's going to be incredibly important. So there's a lot of contingency out there. But really, the news, I think, is on balance slightly better than expected. So we should be relatively optimistic. And I think that's what's been driving European share prices higher in the last few days. May not last, but the better news on inflation has been taken very well by stock markets. I guess, Chris, it is it is worth pointing out that um, global equity markets in 2022 delivered the worst returns since 2008. And, um, you know, it's certainly not clear to me we're out of that situation yet. And I think uh, a lot of challenges ahead for markets in 2023. Chris, over the Christmas period, you wrote a couple of very strong pieces on our Substack account about the UK um, and the, the nature of the failed state that is, is evolving into. Um, today, Rishi Shunak um, was speaking and he has asked the electorate to judge his premiership on five promises. For Promise number one is to have the rate of inflation. Um, I think he will achieve that largely because of factors outside of his control. Secondly, to grow the economy and to create more high quality employment. Thirdly, to reduce government debt. And I guess if he delivers the growth in the economy, well, debt will automatically come down. Um, next promise is to cut hospital waiting lists because we've seen in the UK, and it's exactly the same here in Ireland, um, news media has been dominated by uh, capacity problems in the health service. So cut hospital waiting lists um, is another pledge and the final the fifth pledge is to stop migrant crossings so he's going to introduce new laws to stop small boat crossings in the english channel so five key pledges what do you think his chances of success are nil i don't think he'll he'll achieve all of those at the same time if he does it'll be just chance and circumstance as you say at least one of those targets is completely outside of his control. Inflation is the remit of the uh, independent Bank of England, and what the inflation rate is this year will be entirely up to it, not the Prime Minister. The small boats thing, that has eluded the successive Prime Ministers. Boris Johnson couldn't control it. Theresa May couldn't control it. There are a lot... The the only way that you can control those illegal, so-called illegal crossings is to give refugees a safer route into the UK for processing. And they're not going to do that, at least I don't think they are. So I could go on. The the one that really interests me, though, is that target for growth, growing the economy again. People need to realise, British people in particular, but anybody with an interest in, in the UK, need to realise just how deep a hole the UK is in when it comes to economic growth. One of the reasons, and I think the key reason, actually, why everything seems to be deteriorating in the UK why life seems to be getting worse across so many different metrics, across so many different dimensions, is that growth has been largely absent for too many people and at the economy level. There's a a lost decade. We used to talk about Japan having lost decades. The UK has lost one. And something very strange has happened to the UK growth rate over the last 10 to 15 years, actually. And in those two Substack pieces, I talk about this at length. I'm about to publish another one, looking at it in even greater depth, And in one of those pieces, I actually talk about the moral dimensions of economic growth. And one of the things that uh, economists have forgotten, I think, really, since people like Adam Smith and David Hume were writing about this in the 18th century, 
uh, are the ways in which our societies are made better. The character of our societies is made better by economic growth and vice versa. The character of our, character of our societies deteriorates. We can focus on the higher things, on the things that we value, the non-economic things that we value. And I point out that I don't think Ireland, for example, would have had of all, all the equality legislation, the gay rights, the women's rights, all the social progress that we have achieved in Ireland without the economic growth that has been generated in the country in recent years. And that there are many instances around the world when economic growth goes backwards, so does social progress. And I think social progress is going backwards in the UK. And there are lots of reasons why economic growth has deteriorated in the UK. It starts with investment, capital investment. Really, for 40 years, the UK has underinvested in its economy across a whole host of things that you can invest in. Buildings, land, equipment. Uh, it doesn't really have the tech sector that it should have. Infrastructure is sadly lacking. Uh, there are all sorts of different ways. If you just look at the amount of money that the UK invests per capita compared to all of its major and indeed minor competitors, it's at the bottom of the league tables. So capital investment is one thing. The education sector is another. And I think that there are so many things wrong with education. The problems are very deep-seated and go back a long way in many cases. And so you're not going to be able to turn it around on a sixpence the way he's promising. Another thing that has caused the UK economy not to grow in the way that it should have done, of course, is Brexit. And we could go on and on about that all day, about the effects that that has had. But GDP, we reckon, is up to 5% below where it should be. If Brexit hadn't happened, tax revenues would be nearly 50 billion higher than they are at the moment. And guess what? Taxes just went up by nearly 50 billion in the last budget. So the problems in the UK are so deep-seated now and are Brexit-related. I can't see him tackling any of that. They're certainly not going to go anywhere near reversing Brexit, as far as I can see, uh, this side of the next generation. So no, I don't think he is going to be able to, to do anything about it. One of the things that he might have to contend with this year, apart from all of the other things that, that are going wrong in the British economy is a fall in house prices, which will really affect his electoral chances and really affect his popularity. So far, it's just a slowdown in the housing market. And at the end of the year, house prices were just a little bit up on the previous December. But Jim, one of the things that's really, really interesting that's happening in other parts of the world, if you take Sweden, for example, house prices there are crashing 17% below the peak Sydney house prices are 12% below the peak. Canadian house prices are falling by a similar amount. There are plenty of signs of slowdown in the US housing market. The Bank of England only announced today that mortgage lending is, is at a recent low. So I do think that, that one of the newer problems that's going to emerge for the UK economy this year is going to be the housing market. And I wonder whether there's any read across for Irish house prices there. Uh, we've seen in the last three or four months a very definite deceleration in house price inflation. And um, I would be surprised if at the end of the year, um, national average house prices here are not lower than they currently are. Um, and and that's, that's predicated really on affordability issues, rising interest rates. Uh, we still have the supply-demand supply imbalance in the system. But at the end of the day, I think... House prices here have just gone too high. Affordability is a huge problem, and that's been exacerbated by what's happening on the interest rate front. 
So you'd have to think, and of course, based on that whole global backdrop as well, particularly the global housing backdrop, which I would agree with, that um, it's it's very difficult to come to any other conclusion other than Irish house prices will be lower this time next year. And I have to say, I hope that is the case because um, I think house prices here and indeed rent levels are ridiculously high and they need to correct as a matter of national competitiveness priority. Chris, you, you were mentioning there about the, the, the nature of a functioning economy and how it enables social progress. Um, over the years, I've been involved in many, particularly media debates, um, more particularly on the Vincent Brown show with people of the left, where I've been accused of being obsessed with economy, with no interest in society. And I have always argued that without a functioning economy, it is impossible to create a functioning society. There are no guarantees that if you create a functioning economy, you are going to create a functioning society. It depends on how you allocate the resources generated by economic activity. But you sure as hell can't make any social progress if you do not have a functioning economic model. And I think Ireland over the last 20 years has been a prime example of how a functioning economy can actually deliver so much social progress. Uh, we're not perfect. We still have significant problems. There's still a long way to go. But I think the only way we can achieve the social destination we want to achieve and address all of those social problems, which have strong economic tiebacks as well. But the only way we can achieve that is by ensuring that we continue to maintain a functioning economic model and um, the the lessons across the water in terms of what UK politics has done to UK economic growth um, is a lesson that we really do need to learn in this country. Yeah, if you if you tamper with economic growth, if you tamper with your economic model that is delivering growth, you do it at your peril. One of the reasons why we, we got Boris Johnson, one of the reasons why politics in the UK is so poisonous, one of the reasons why they play so fast and loose with constitutional norms while they party, while there are rules against it and all the other lies and, and behaviours that we have seen in recent years is because of the social degradation that comes with a lack of economic growth because you're fighting over a cake that is no longer growing and in some cases actually shrinking. And historically, you don't get social progress in economies that don't grow. Uh, that's a very important empirical fact. You've added the point about uh, sharing economic growth appropriately. The other thing that the UK has got wrong is that the little bit of growth in recent in recent 15 years that it's had, and it's not been much, it's been pitiful, has all gone to the top. And the gap now between the top 50% and the bottom 50% is wider than it has been for a very long time. And I you have to share economic growth reasonably equitably. So it, social progress requires two things, growth and reasonably, reasonable equitable share of it. And I think Ireland has achieved both those things, not without problems, as you rightly say. The final thing I'd say about, going back to my point about house prices, is that I, I think it's a piece of evidence that some of the, some, one of the things that you and I have kind of sort of disagreed about a bit is the importance of interest rates and mortgage rates for house prices. In those economies where house prices are now coming down a lot, they're not in recession. Sweden isn't in recession. Australia isn't in recession. Canada isn't in recession. The US isn't in recession. Uh, and house prices are coming down hard there. 
And so the evidence is building that it's all interest rates. It's all because mortgage rates have gone up. And I think that that's an important point, that you don't need an economic recession to get house prices down. But if you have higher interest rates and a recession, I think you can kiss goodbye to your high house prices. Okay, I'm I'm not sure your reference to me disagreeing with that. Um... I used to say, Jim, that it was always about bond yields, that the only thing that mattered for house prices was bond yields and that you could increase the supply of houses. But if, if you kept interest rates low, you might be surprised at how little house prices came down. Okay. Listen, Chris, we will leave it there um, just to wish all our listeners a great 2023. So I'll hand back to you to wrap up. Thanks very much, Jim. Yes, thanks very much to all our listeners. Uh, Please take a look at the articles that we are writing with increasing frequency on our Substack site. Thank you to all of those very kind subscribers that have uh, paid up a few dollars for for our scribblings. Um, We will be doing more as the year goes by. And thanks to listen to all our listeners on this podcast and a very, very happy, prosperous and healthy new year to everyone. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power. On the other hand, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.